Um, tonight I want to talk for just a few minutes about God versus good gifts. Um, comparing the two, contrasting the two, uh, are the two in competition? Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as we go forward. Uh, living the Christian life, as we think about doing that and living it faithfully, which is what we're all trying to do, um, doing that means at some point you're going to experience tension. Um, we've often heard people say correctly that becoming a Christian does not mean that your life will be easy or easier, uh, that all obstacles will be removed from your way. It actually uh, will continue to be hard. There will continue to be obstacles. They may just be different obstacles and a different kind of difficulty. And we, we know that's true in our brain, uh, but sometimes we forget it. Sometimes as we live our lives, we forget just how difficult it can be uh, as we try to be faithful to God. Um, one of the obstacles Christians face is the strain that we experience as we do really our humble best to live by the words of God. Um, as we attempt to be faithful, we have this strain that's not really a bug or a glitch. It's not uh, something surprising, but rather it's actually a feature of the Christian experience. And it can happen for a lot of reasons. One reason is that we feel the tension is because that even though we trust God and we trust that God's word is the best way to live, we're still tempted to sin. Uh, we still feel the pull of the sinful man kind of, uh, you know, that we've put to death, but at the same time, the flesh can still be so weak and we still feel that we're subject to lust or to greed, to selfishness, to all the other earthly unrighteousness that is against God's will. It reminds me of in Romans chapter 7 where Paul uh, is essentially talking about the inward struggle that he has, that uh, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to choose to do the right thing and to, to deny our urges that we have in the flesh, and yet we end up doing the exact opposite. We end up falling so short of what we want to do and what God wants us to do. So when our heart desires to do God's will and the flesh desires that which entices our flesh and, and, and tempts us, we feel the pull of those two forces really inside of ourselves. And Paul talks about that in that passage. So if you're a Christian, you're going to feel strain in your life because of the evil of sin around you, the temptation and your own weakness. That, that tension, that strain is just going to be there. Uh, it's really to be expected and it shouldn't surprise anyone. But if we shifted our focus a little bit, have you ever felt tension in your life as a Christian because of the good things in your life? Think about that for a second. Have you experienced tension as a Christian because of the good things uh, that you experience in your life? Um, as you think about the good things in all of our lives, really, in many ways, we're of all people most blessed. Living in the time we live, in the country that we live in, most of us live a more comfortable life than 99.9% .9 of the human race that has come before us. If you looked out th throughout history, uh, we live in <laughs> extreme comfort compared to most people that have come before us. Uh, most of us, and I don't want to say everybody because there are those who are uh, in worse financial situations who uh, obviously are, uh, don't have these kind of luxuries that we talk about. For a lot of us, though, we have the nice technology, the TVs, the neat toys, entertainment, uh, and even time to enjoy it, which hasn't always been a luxury that people have had either. Um, those things are nice. We like all those things, but let's go even deeper because those aren't really the things that make our lives good. 
what about our family? You know, the, the love that we share with our family and the, and the people that are most important to us. What about uh, our homes and the feelings of security and warmth that we have when we're in places that are familiar to us, right? The feeling of a hometown, the feeling of, again, just being at your house that you know and love. Um, what about good food and great company, right? What about time spent with those people around the table uh, that's really uh, invaluable to us, that are precious memories to us? What about, uh, as we think back in our mind, what about vacations to see beautiful sights and wonders of God's world around us? Uh, you don't have to go on a trip to experience the beauty of God's creation. You can go sit on the porch and watch the sunrise. Uh, you can hold a, a baby in your hands. You can get a hug from somebody you care about. And all of these things are really what make our lives good. These are good things in our life. We, we need these things more than money or, or toys or entertainment. There's a sense in which these things really speak directly to our hearts and sustain us through the difficulties of life. These things are good. These are important things, and these are things that as humans we, we need. Um, but then we open our Bibles, and we find some passages that really give us heartburn. Uh, think about Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. If you have your Bible, uh, I'd love for you to, to look that up and read it with me. Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Because look at the, the emotion that's portrayed in this verse. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We can, we can hear that verse, and we know that it's true. We, we know that God really is the most important and the most sustaining thing in our lives. You know, that, that God really, if you ask, again, a group of, uh, well, let's just say Center Grove. If you asked all of Center Grove, what's the most important thing in, in your life? They would say, oh, God, absolutely, God is. But how challenging is it to really say those words and mean them? Uh, the, the phrase in there, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And so to that, we ask the question of nothing? Really, there's nothing on earth that you desire besides God. What, what about your family and your friends, right? What about your children? What about your parents, your siblings? Uh, what about, you know, uh, uh, our favorite, you know, I think of the holidays we just had. What about that holiday meal where we gather around with people that we love? Uh, you know, what, what about all of these experiences that bring so much joy to our life? And we really can say, do we really desire God and nothing else on earth besides him? Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel tension there when I look at my life and go, I love my life. I love living my life. I love people in my life. I love the relationships in my lives. I love doing things in my life. Am I wrong for doing that? Am I doing something wrong? Am I falling short of what God wants for me because I have these feelings? And thus that tension between God and the good things in my life, what what gives there? How do I approach this? Uh, think about what Paul says in Philippians 3, 7, and 8. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So are all the good things in life rubbish? Right? Are they garbage? Does loving God with all of my heart and soul and mind and, and trying to come to the knowledge of Jesus mean that I should reach a point where I just care less about the things that usually matter to me in life? 
we believe God's word is true, but we may wonder if we can ever reach this point of thinking this way. I don't know that I can ever truly feel this way uh, about God to the degradation of my feelings for everything else. Now, some people might say that if you open up your Bible uh, and you raise up your Bible reading time, really immerse yourself in God's word, eventually you're just going to change your mind and begin to accept the biblical truth that the love of God uh, is sustaining so that everything else is just rubbish uh, and all those good things, eventually we just won't care as much about them. But the, this side of the equation isn't all that the Bible has to say on the subject. Let's look at some other passages. Uh, if you'll open to the book of 1 Timothy, there's a couple verses that I think are important in here to note things that Paul said that are inspired by God. Paul says this, As for the rich in this age, again, those people that are greatly blessed with good physical things, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who provide, richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And that's from 1 Timothy 6, 17. So really note what, what Paul says there. He says, in the rich, those who are blessed, don't let them set their hopes on the riches, right, because they're very uncertain, but to set them on God, who he says, richly provides us, so things come from God, with everything that shows the scope of what God's blessed us with to enjoy, right? God has blessed us with things to enjoy. What about 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4? For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 17, if you want to go there, James says in his epistle there, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so every single one of these three verses, the two from 1 Timothy and the one from James, proclaims the truth that God has made good things and given us good gifts with the intention that we would enjoy them, right? This is, God designed it so that we could enjoy these good gifts and be thankful for them. In fact, the Bible tells us, commands us to richly enjoy the blessings of God that he's given us in our life here on earth. That's what we're commanded to do. It's what we're supposed to do. But when we set these passages side by side, passages that talk about the supremacy of God, God being the only one that matters, everything else being rubbish, and the passages that talk about God giving us good things that we're thankful for, that we should enjoy, um, we feel that tension. Which is it? Should we only want God and consider the rest to be useless and things to toss away? Or should we enjoy everything that God richly provides? And what it shows us is this tension exists not only in the life of a Christian, we also find it in the Bible itself. The Bible itself contains this tension between these two ideas. This can seem like some kind of great existential riddle, right? That just makes us throw up our hands and ask, well, if God wants us to love our lives, then why did he make them so lovable? If he doesn't want us to love our lives, why did he make them so lovable, right? If he didn't want us to enjoy it, why did he make it so enjoyable? Um, this can become a problem, right? We kind of wonder, well, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me uh, to change in my life? How do you want me to view these things? But I believe the answer to this tension is something that we can understand and something that really may comfort us in our Christian lives as we think about, am I really giving God his due? Uh, but at the same time, can I enjoy, can I cherish, can I truly love these important things to me in my life? And again, I'm not talking about the frivolous things. I'm not talking about uh, you know, television. I'm not talking about toys. I'm talking about the people, the relationships, um, the beauty of life, all of these things. And so how do we put these two concepts together? 
There's a book called uh, Strangely Bright. It's by an author named Joe Rigney. Uh, and it deals a lot with this tension between these two ideas. And I think that in that book, he laid out a great system of two different approaches that we take when we consider our love for God and our love for the good gifts that God gives to us. Um, these are two strands of thought, uh, and the names of them are this. One is called, he calls the integrated approach, and the other is called the comparative approach. Now, at first, these things may seem contradictory, as I'm going to explain them, but when we put them next to each other, we discover they actually complement each other in our Christian lives so that we can both understand how we relate to God and also how we relate to all the good gifts in our life that we enjoy so much. The first approach I want to think about is the integrated approach. Um, the integrated approach is looking at God and his gifts and not separating them out or, or making them a rival to each other, but rather enjoying them together. Think back to what we just read in James chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If James is correct, then every truly good thing in our life, our relationships, the, the joys of the human experience, can be directly traced and attributed to God. He is the source of all good gifts, and the goodness in those things is a reflection of the goodness of God. In other words, if we look at the good gifts of God, there's a reflection in them of the goodness of the giver of those gifts. When I think about something that's just purely good, I think about children. Uh, you know, I think about the joy that children bring, the joy of rocking a baby, uh, talking to a young toddler. I spend a lot of time doing that in my life. Uh, I can think of a couple times that Silas has given me what I call life-changing hugs, right? Silas has given me a hug that I just go, whoa, I think that changed my entire life and my perspective on things. There's just so much goodness within children and what they teach us. The goodness of children tells me something about God, right? About his character and about what kind of creator he is. It tells me that he is good. Hold your newborn baby in the hospital if you're blessed enough to have one and tell me that our God isn't good. You will see that he is good the second you hold that baby. It's an experience really unlike any other. But it isn't just that parent-child relationship that reveals the goodness of God to us. Over and over again in the Bible, God's relationship to his people is compared to a marriage, right? The relationship of a husband and wife. Now, we know that in reality that not every marriage is good. And my heart hurts for those situations. Not every marriage is a picture of God and his people. But when you think of the joy that is experienced in marriage, the joy of a husband and a wife, the Bible says it actually tells us something about the love of God for his people and, and Christ loves Christ's love for the church. And so I could go on and on about, you know, these good gifts of God, these great things that uh, aren't, aren't a hurdle to us loving God, but rather they point us back to God. Uh, I think about how in the Bible it compares God's word and his wisdom to good food, like honey. Uh, it, it talks about how honey reminds us of the wisdom of God. Uh, or it says the beauty of God's creation helps us to come to know who he is, right, more perfectly. We can see him better through his creation, which is good. Um, but with the integrated approach, again, we can enjoy God's good gifts very deeply as they come to us and actually use the love we have for them to love God even more strongly, right? In other words, uh, these things aren't becoming a hurdle to my love for God. Rather, I look at how much I love these things and I go, wow, I love God 
uh, so much because of it. And I'm being told I'm having lots of glitches. Um, is anybody else having issues seeing or hearing me? I'm going to uh, guess there's probably nothing I can do about it and just keep going otherwise. But I do apologize if I'm glitching out. I'm uh, I'm at the mercy of the internet connection, so uh, hopefully you can hear me here and there a little bit. Um, but but anyhow, um, as we think about the integrated approach to God's gifts, we are we are taking uh, all that God gives us, we're taking all of the good things and we're attributing the goodness of them back towards God. And so that when I love my family, it makes me love God even more because I remember that my family comes from him. Uh, the, the beauty of the world comes from him. Uh, the goodness of my experiences comes from him. Uh, and so I can use that to even enlarge my feelings for God as I experience them in my life. On the other hand, though, from the integrated approach, we have the comparative approach to God and his gifts. In the integrated approach, we put God and his gifts together to expand our love and enjoyment and pleasure in both, in the gifts and in the God that gives them. But in the comparative approach, we're going to separate these. We're going to take God and we're going to take his gifts and separate them. <clears throat> I want you to imagine a scale or scales, the old time ones with two sides hanging off of the bar. Um, in the comparative approach, I'm going to take all the good gifts in my life, all the things I enjoy, all the things that make me happy, and put them on one side of the scale. And then on the other side, I'm going to put God, right? If you could imagine putting God on a scale. If push comes to shove, I have to look at that scale and say, which of these sides do I choose? Which one do I love more? Do I love God who is given me these gifts? Or do I love the gifts in and of themselves more than the God that gave them? The Bible tells us God is infinite in power and in knowledge and that he has promised that he is what truly will satisfy our desire for goodness. He is truly what fulfills us uh, as humans. Do I really believe that? Would I give up all of the other good things if it meant that I was able to have a relationship with God? The problem in our Christian life is not the good gifts that God has given us. It's not that God has given us all these things that are just too good that we can't love him as well. The problem is, again, uh, whether we remember the source of those things. To illustrate the real problem, think about James's language of good gifts coming down from the Father of lights. When I think about light coming down, I think about the sun, right? That's pretty obvious. The sun is the ultimate source of life in our universe. The, and light is a very good thing, okay? Imagine all the light beams that the sun is shooting out like an arrow every millisecond, right? The light's going out and it's giving life to things. It's providing uh, you know, sight to us, all of these things, light that we see every day. Now, I want you to imagine seeing that light without ever thinking about where it comes from. Uh, you know, just saying, oh, there's light, but it, I guess it just happened to appear. Maybe the light is in and of itself uh, all that there is. It sounds ridiculous, but just think of someone see if they could even see that light beam and follow it from their eyes to where it hits the ground and never think about where it came from, right? Never give any more thought about it. Instead of following that light beam back to its massive, amazing source, the sun, uh, Imagine that little light beam, the single light beam, holding their attention and them thinking this is all that there really is, when in reality the source is so much greater and more complex and so much more powerful uh, than that single light beam is. While we really can't even fathom someone seeing daylight but missing the sun, knowing about one without the other, 
How often do we see the good gifts of God without tracing them back to the creator that gives them? We see these gifts of, of God, but we never think and follow that line back to the giver of them. When that happens, we risk letting those gifts lead us to a sort of idolatry. Uh, think about Romans chapter 1. I'm going to pull that up really quick. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that as we look at the sinful world and how it's uh, condemned and how they've condemned themselves, uh, Paul says that the condemnation of the sinful world, what it really comes from, is not because God can't be seen or known about, but rather that he is clearly seen through his creation and gifts, and that those who saw God chose not to honor him. And note, as we do our reading, that they are ungrateful for what he has given. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Romans 1, verse 19. It says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So as they didn't give thanks to God, as they didn't honor the giver of the gifts, they darkened their hearts and denied him that honor and that thanksgiving. And, and Paul goes on to say, instead of worshiping the creator, they turned to the created things. They turned to the beasts of the earth. They turned to the things they could see and things that are good, things that God made for us and with us and to be good for us. But they look at that gift and they stop at the gift and say, that gift is sufficient. That gift is what I will value over any kind of creator who made it. So when we think about the comparative approach, when we take God and his good gifts and put them against each other, what I think it, it really helps is it helps us to see whether we have begun to value the created over the creator that made them, to see if we have made idols out of the good things that God has given us. It's possible to take a good thing that God has blessed us with, a thing that is meant to bring us joy and happiness and for us to enjoy and bless us and point us back to God and make it an idol if it never points us back to him. And rather we enjoy it for the purpose of the thing alone without giving thanks for it. Um, but if we take that comparative approach and we, we put them against each other, we can solidify in our hearts that God is the greatest desire of our heart because everything else that we want, everything else we enjoy comes from him. And all the things we love most, if they come from him, then we ought to love him most. Uh, and it's only when we compare them across from each other and really appreciate what God has done for us that we can really understand that. So we have the integrated approach and the comparative approach which one do we use, right? What approach is correct in the Christian's life? The, the integrated approach of enjoying God and his gifts together and in harmony, or the comparative approach of comparing God to his gifts and choosing which one we love more? Well, based on what the Bible says, I believe that we have to take both approaches. Uh, the, the answer is we have to do both and really at different times. Um, I think that thankfully, with what God has asked us to do, that we should live the majority of our lives with the integrated approach. God doesn't tell us to forsake all the good gifts that he's given us, but rather to enjoy it all with thanksgiving, right? Enjoy these gifts, enjoy them and be thankful every day without ceasing to God for the people that he's given us, for the, for the world that he's given us, for all of these things. That will make all the difference because it's going to allow us to increase our love for God while we love the good things that he has blessed us with. 
But to guard ourselves against idolatry, we must, it's imperative, we have to fill up our lives with time where we compare the goodness of God to everything else and decide without a doubt that God is the most important thing in our lives and the best thing that we could hope to desire, a relationship with him. Uh, this happens during time where we study the Bible in private, when we study the Bible together as a church family, uh, times of prayer where we're thanking God and realizing he is the source of these things, worship services, right? These are times where, again, we, we shut out the world, even as we do it with the people we love, but we shut out the world and the outside things and focus our attention on the creator. And again, times of reflection like that put us in the mindset to look at God and then agree with Psalm 73. When we compare everything else, there's nothing on the earth that I desire besides you, because all goodness is found inside of God and comes from God. So that means the next time that you find yourself totally happy in life and just immersed in the good moments and the blessings of God, just think the one who blesses me with all of this goodness has promised me that we haven't seen nothing yet, right? God has said, all the goodness I've shown you, it's just a signpost to point you to eternal goodness, to uh, a time without end where we will enjoy the goodness of God and the good things from God together with him uh, without end. And that's what all of this is pointing us towards and all of it is meant to help us reflect on. And so as we continue through this week, take note of all the wonderful gifts that God gives you the really important things in your life and give thanks to him for them be thankful that he's blessed you with these things love the giver and cherish the gifts and remember that without him there would be no gifts there would be no good thing uh, in him we have our very being and he holds all things together i think it'll change the way that you look at god and it'll change the way that you look at the world around you so thank god for his good gifts but even more thankful for the god that we have uh, and the son that he sent uh, as our Savior. So thank you all for your attention tonight. I hope that some of the things we've talked about will be beneficial to you, uh, and we will see you all very soon. Thank you. Good night.